The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Well, good evening. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter number seven tonight. I am so grateful to be here. Thank you, college students, for being in services tonight. I want to thank Pastor Redland for letting me preach from his platform tonight. Thank you, Campus Church, for coming this evening. I've only been part of two churches in my entire life, Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas and then the Campus Church. So anytime I'm here, it always feels like home. And uh, I love being part of this whole environment. I love Pensacola Christian College. It's been a part of my life, my entire existence, almost since I can remember. When I was five years old, we started Abeka Homeschool. And from kindergarten through 12th grade, I was a homeschool student. Any other homeschool students in here? I don't know why they always cheer. It's just like that homeschool thing. Like, <laughs> we are finally outside. It's just an exciting thing to be outside, I guess, if you're a homeschool student. I get it. I know it. It's like people are here. It's a wonderful thing to be around actual real-life people. And I know that feeling. Now, now, don't woo or don't cheer or do anything like this. But for those of you who did videos like I did, when you were here on campus for the first time, and perhaps you saw one of your video teachers for the first time, did you feel like you were meeting a celebrity? Yeah, that's the way I was too. That there's Dr. Ridgely. <laughs> Just such a special thing whenever you get to be here. But this place is not important. It's not special because we have nice buildings or great facilities. The thing that I admire most about this place is that God uses people. And I'm so thankful that I get to be part of this campus and on this college tonight. Oh, college students, I'm just so thrilled what God's got laid on my heart to share with you. I told Dr. Shoemaker in April when they asked me to be part of this, I went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want me to share with the students of Pensacola Christian College? And I'm confident that today and tomorrow, specifically from this passage, we're going to see some things that I know will be a help to you. So if you're ready for it, say yes. All right, and the person to decide you didn't say yes, give them an elbow and say, wake up, get ready for this. Now are you ready for it? Say yes. Okay, good. Open your Bibles. We're in Luke chapter number 7 and verse number 36. The Bible says this, and one of the Pharisees, one of the Pharisees, anytime you see the word Pharisee, you're thinking many different thoughts in your mind. One of those Pharisees, they desired him, Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house. Jesus went and hung out with a Pharisee. And he sat down to meet, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. Isn't that interesting? When we think of Pharisees, there's certain words that come to our mind, aren't there? I'm sure there are for you. I know there are for me. So there's this guy who's a Pharisee, and he asked Jesus to come over for a meal. When they enjoy this meal together, this lady comes in, and this lady is described only as a, a sinner. And when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought in an alabaster box of ointment and took his feet behind and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears 
and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when Jesus, and when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, <coughs> This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this that toucheth him. For she is a, what's the last word? Say it together. Father, I pray in the next few moments that you would allow us to take some understanding from this word that would be a help and encouragement as we start this semester together. Thank you for 2024 and the wonderful adventure that lays out before us. And thank you that you have called us to this time. This is the generation in which you have decided would be best equipped to handle whatever challenges, whatever opportunities, and whatever adventures lay ahead in 2024. And there are thousands of young men and women here who have yielded this semester to you to be at a place where they will learn Christian instruction, learn a biblical worldview, and seek your adventure. And so, Lord, as we start together tonight, I pray that you would not only speak to them, but speak to the men and women in this room who have for decades invested their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. May we give you that which you deserve tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you were here last semester, we started a whole campaign on the campus celebrating 50 years of ministry. I was, I was privileged to be here in October, and I sat up there in row F, about 12 rows back with my daughter Ashlyn, and they had the gala up here. If you remember the gala, you remember that? Oh, I remember the gala. It was like the Oscars ceremony coming out here on the stage of Pensacola Christian. And wasn't it perfect too? Like Dr. Much, doesn't that man look good in a tuxedo? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Much walks out there, and he's just the perfect man to emcee the entire event when Dr. Much starts to speak, and then he introduces Dr. Shoemaker, and Dr. Shoemaker don't look bad in a tuxedo himself. Yeah. <laughs> and he comes out, and I don't know about you, I enjoyed the music, I enjoyed the, the presentation where there was a, a guy and a girl and a dude with a long nose that was kind of awkward, but the whole thing going on over there. And I enjoyed that part. But my favorite part of the night was whenever they brought out people who were part of this ministry for years. Oh, it was special, wasn't it? When they brought out a Dr. Omen who had served here for decades and Dr. Hurst. And then people who have passed away and their family members came up. Do you remember that? And perhaps a child or a spouse and they, and they celebrated and we gave them an award and all of us in the audience, we said... Oh, they deserve it. Whenever Dr. Horton stood a few moments ago, and we look at the legacy in this wonderful ministry that uh, he and, and his wife were able to start so many decades ago, and we, we, we clapped. And we clap, and we would say this in our heart, probably Dr. Horton wouldn't say this, but we would say this in his heart, our heart, he deserves that. He deserves attention. He deserves praise. And, and knowing the man in a little bit like I do, he'd say, oh, I don't deserve anything. But God deserves the glory. Jesus deserves the honor. With that in mind, I want to share with you three things from this passage of Scripture that I believe Jesus deserves. 
And I think if you understand these things that Jesus deserves, it will help your semester and will help bring focus to this adventure that God has for you in the next few months. Will you look at what verse number 36 says? The Bible says, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to meet. Verse 37, it says, And behold, a woman of the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and then this whole thing starts to unfold. She pours out this ointment, the fragrance fills the room, and she starts to cry and weep, and she lavishes love on Jesus. It shows me this. Number one, the first thing that Jesus deserves is Jesus deserves our attention. He deserves your attention. I grew up in a preacher's home. My mom, whenever I got to speak, she would say this, Matt, make sure you kick the can. And what that means is you do something to grab everyone's attention. From time to time, whenever we were driving back, my dad driving home, my dad would say, honey, how was the message today? And my mom would say, you didn't kick the can. <laughs> the idea is this, you've got to get your attention focused where it's supposed to be. Jesus has raptured the attention of two different people. There's a Pharisee and then there's a sinner woman. But it doesn't matter which side of the spectrum they're on, they both have their attention focused on Jesus. Tonight I want to ask you this question, does Jesus have your attention? Oh, we live in a society that is craving to get your attention. We want likes and reposts. We want videos and TikToks and Snapchats and we want followers. I live in a city that is all about attention. On July of this year, our city, which is all about attention, added its newest attraction in the late 1980s. We added an active volcano in front of the Mirage. But that was so 1980s. And so in the 1990s, we built this huge casino. When I say we, I did not build the casino. <laughs> but the city of Las Vegas built this casino called the Bellagio. It cost over a billion dollars to build this. And in front of the Bellagio, there is a dancing water show that goes on every 15 minutes. And the whole city goes, ooh and ah. We take our attention. But in July of this year, we opened a brand new attention. Again, when I say we, I'm talking generally of the people of Las Vegas. We opened a thing called the Sphere. You may have seen some of the pictures online of the Sphere. It's absolutely incredible. If you don't know what I'm speaking of, imagine the Dale Horton Auditorium. A building about that size, but it is a dome covered with 1.2 million lights. And each one of the lights is about the size of a hockey puck. And each night, the most brilliant thing on the landscape of the Las Vegas Strip is this sphere. You're watching to see what that sphere is. During, March, uh, during basketball season and the summer league there in Las Vegas, they turned it into a basketball. We found out that the Oakland A's are going to be moving to Las Vegas and they turned it, turned it into a giant baseball. At one point, they made it a giant eyeball that just... <laughs> it's absolutely fascinating. When Alison and I were driving to the airport the other day, it was converted into a moon. And I'm telling you, you could go and you could have your attention just looking at this 
ball of lights, 1.2 million. The world loves to grab our attention. And there's a world out there that wants to seek your attention all over the place. Some of you right now are having a struggle because your attention is focused on a football game. And you're wondering if the most important person in the NFL, Taylor Swift, will be happy or sad <laughs> after this game is over. And right now you're raptured with, okay, what's going to happen with this, with this football game? And our attention has the opportunity to be focused in a number of different places. But on this day, the attention of a Pharisee and the attention of a sinner are all focused on Jesus. Why should you focus on Jesus? Because number one, of who he is. Jesus is God, a very God. He is the holy, holy, holies that Isaiah speaks about in chapter number six. Jesus is amazing because of his birthday. When my first daughter was born, she was uh, born in a Catholic hospital. And every single baby that was born on the day she was born, they would play Brahms lullaby. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. And every time you heard that, you just got this warm feeling like, oh, a baby's been born. It's special. Your birthday's special. In fact, at your birthday, we all sing, don't we? You know the song, don't you? It goes like this. Happy birthday to you. We sing a song. Because it's your birthday, it's special. But the song sung at Jesus' birthday was so profound. At Jesus' birthday, the Bible says that in the same country, there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And the Bible says they were sore afraid. And the angel spake unto him, and he says, Fear not, why? For behold, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to how many people? All people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. And what were they doing? Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That beat your happy birthday song. Jesus is worthy of our attention because of who he is. He is worthy of our attention because of what he did. In John 1, 1, the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, with his very voice, spoke the world into existence. Our Jesus deserves our attention. He is the creator God. For crying out loud, if you just read this chapter preceding the verses of our text this, morning, this evening, the things that Jesus did. Jesus, at the beginning of this chapter, don't read it now. You can read it later if you'd like. At the beginning of the chapter, there's a centurion, and he has a sick servant. And the centurion does not even go to Jesus. This servant who is nigh unto death, he sends word unto Jesus. And he says, Jesus, my servant is nigh unto death. Would you please help him? And Jesus sends word back that, okay, I'll come. And the centurion, no, no, you don't even need to come. Just say the word for I'm a man under authority. And Jesus, through the contemporary text messages of first century Palestine, heals a servant who's nigh unto death. 
That's pretty impressive. And in the next passage, the Bible tells us that there's a lady who has a son who's dead. Like dead. He's being carried on a stretcher. They're on the way to the funeral home to bury him because he's dead. And the Bible tells us that Jesus looks at this woman and her only son who's dead, probably a man who is going to be her social security plan for the remainder of her life. He has compassion and he says, rise up. And the dead dude wakes up and begins to walk and take care of his mama. In the same passage, look at the things Jesus does. The most powerful prophet ever born was John the Baptist. I like brackets. I like things that will say who's the most, uh, who's the most uh, competent or the best quarterback of all time. What is, and I like to see those brackets and where people argue about the best of all time, the best of all time. Above Moses, above Elijah, above Jonah, John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of all time. And yet he had concerns. And in those concerns, Jesus comforted a prophet. Jesus is amazing and it deserves your attention, not only because of who he is, but because of what he does. And he deserves attention from all people. I love this because two people from opposite spectrums of life find Jesus. A Pharisee, a Pharisee was educated. A Pharisee probably had the equivalent of a PhD. He had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I have a hard time reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I mean, I get through the first Genesis, that's pretty cool. Exodus, that's pretty good. And then it comes to a grinding halt about Leviticus chapter 6. Homeboy had it memorized. <laughs> He's one of the most elite of the elite in his society. And Jesus cares for him. On the other hand, there's a lady who's only known as a sinner. I, I've tried to think what was her sin. Perhaps her sin was some type of moral deficiency. Perhaps she had the reputation of being sexually inappropriate. Perhaps she was a known thief. And no one could catch her, but perhaps she was a thief. Perhaps she was somebody who had dabbled with narcotics or illicit drugs. In her day, she would have been vaping and having no problem with all of the medicinal qualities of the pharmaceutical industry. And perhaps she was a, somebody who we would call a junkie today. We don't know what her sin is, but notice this, that Jesus has captured their attention. And I think that's important because Jesus is the focus of all of human history. He deserves your attention. The year is 2024. You know why the year is 2024? Because about 2,024 years ago, something significant happened. You know what that was? It was the birth of Jesus. All of time, your age is measured by this historical figure, the God-man Jesus Christ, who was born over 2,000 years ago. All of history centers around the person of Jesus Christ. He deserves your attention. But not only does this earth focus on the person of Jesus Christ, but all of eternity focuses its attention on the person of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in 
Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth, all of eternity, this entire world, you can run from it, you can try to hide from it, you can try to change BC to BCE, you can try to change ED to common area, but everyone knows that this world revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. And I have news for the skeptics, I have news for the scorners, and I have something to reaffirm in the lives of our college students tonight, that all of eternity will focus on the person of Jesus Christ because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, he deserves our attention. Does the Lord have your attention tonight? Or are we consumed with microeconomics? Are we consumed with what our job is going to be? Are we consumed with being able to scurry around and not get caught. Are we consumed? Are we consumed? Is our attention deviated from where God wants it to be? And I ask you tonight, would you put your attention on Jesus? He deserves it. Number two, I want you to see that not only does Jesus deserve our attention, but I want you to see what the scripture says. We read verse number 36 through 39. Do not read verse 40. Do not read verse 40 through 43. Don't do it. Now, some of you, as soon as I said, don't do it, you started to read it. Shame on you. You can read it later, but don't read tomorrow. That's going to be our passage of scripture in chapel. Verses 40 through 43. But I want you to go down to verse number 44. Don't read 40 through 43. Don't. Verse 44 says this, and he turned to the woman, he said, Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with what? Tears. And wiped them away with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time that she hath come in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. Jesus deserves your attention, and he deserves my attention. But number two, Jesus deserves my affection. He deserves my affection, my love, my emotion. Now I get this. All of our life and our relationship with God should not be wrapped up in emotion. I think there's danger in that. But make no doubt about it, God made you with emotions. And it's appropriate to give emotion to God. Each Christmas, our church will put on a 
event. We call it the Christmas experience. And it's an awesome event. We invite the entire community, and over the last seven years that we've done this, we will, uh, we will buy Christmas trees, fresh-cut Christmas trees, usually about a six or seven-foot uh, Douglas fir, and we've worked with different people. Some uh, people have sponsored them. We've had some corporations, some organizations that will sponsor these Christmas trees, and we push it out to everywhere. In fact, this year, on four different local uh, news stations. They said, if you want a free Christmas tree, go to Liberty Baptist Church on December 3rd and get a free Christmas tree. And so we had just tons of people show up for our Christmas experience. There were thousands of people that came and we gave over, uh, we gave over Chris Christmas trees to all of the folks that came. Some of the people here volunteered and seen it and you've posted it and been grateful for it. One of the things that we do is at the top of each hour, when we are doing this Christmas experience, we give a gospel presentation. We ask people to walk through uh, the story of Bethlehem. We even have a live camel whose name is Abraham. Abraham's been a big addition to our team. And he comes and they, they hear about the story of Jesus. At the top of each hour, we'll bring the police department up and sometimes politicians or folks that will partner with us in this endeavor and we'll give away prizes. And as we give away these prizes, we let the politicians and the police give a speech and share how important community involvement and um, reaching out and showing love and concern and building community uh, partnerships are. We will also give away prizes, and that's the way we get people to stick around. In fact, in order to get a prize, you have to go through the gospel presentation. Ha, 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 ha. There will be people that when they go through the gospel presentation, they get their ticket and they're all listening to all the different speeches that are going on at the top of the hour. And as all the people are giving the top of the hour speeches, they sit there, but they're waiting for that prize. We will give away bikes, we'll give away Lego sets, we'll give away just a number of different things to people that are there. Last year, there was a little boy, his name was Darion. He was 11 years old. And at the first thing he said, Pastor Matt, would you call my number? I said, well, it's, it's a raffle. It's not really, it's, I, it, we'll, we'll see what happens. And he didn't win. And then he went through the second hour. We did this three times. And he didn't win. And at the uh, beginning of the third one, as I was walking up to the stage, he said, Pastor Matt. And Darion's about 10 years old. He said, Pastor Matt, could, come on, Pastor Matt. <laughs> We're friends, Pastor Matt. <laughs> see what you can do for me, Pastor Matt. And we started giving away the prizes, and the bikes were for like a four-year-old or a five-year-old. Like, what's Darion going to do with that? And we gave away the prizes, and we came to the last prize, and the last prize was a queen-size blow-up mattress. And I had, I looked over at Darion, and I said, the final prize is a queen-size blow-up mattress. And all the kids are like... Woo! <laughs> and so I thought, well, this is the last. We're, we're going to make sure that Darion won. And through fasting and prayer, somehow Darion won. I picked out a ticket and I said, Darion! And Darion came up to the front and he received his blow-up queen-size mattress. And here you go, Darion. Merry Christmas! And I thought, well, that's good. He got his prize. Everyone's happy. He went to my sister. He said, Charity, Miss Charity, look, look, I won. Look, I won, Miss Charity. And, Darion sa and Charity said to my, my friend Darion, he said, that's great, Darion. I'm, I'm so glad you got, you've got a blow-up bed now. 
And Darion said, you don't understand, I don't have a bed. I've never had a bed. I sleep on the couch. This is my very first bed. I don't have a lot of affection for a bed because my entire life I've slept in a bed. But here's a little boy who for the very first time, can you see him? (laughs) Blowing up his very first bed and he loves it. There's a contrast between the Pharisee and the sinner girl. The Pharisee had known about God all of her life and or all of his life and was understanding of all of the books of the Bible and aware of the prophecies of the Messiah and aware of so many things. And it's obvious that whenever Jesus comes to his house, though Jesus had his attention, this Pharisee had obviously lost his affection. I'm concerned that you struggle with the same thing I struggle with. As a person who grew up in church and went to a Becca video homeschool and was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, went through Awana. I'm a Timothy Award member, not to flex, but I'm a Timothy Award member in the, uh, in the Awana. I was the president of the ministerial class. That one's a flex. I'm challenged that with all of the credentials and gifts that I've been given and environments around the things of God, that my affection for the Lord is not what it should be. I know how to do the things in my attention to God. Oh, I know what to wear. I know, I know whenever somebody calls out even an obscure passage of Scripture, I know where to find the book of Habakkuk. And I'm concerned that oftentimes, and this is something I deal with, and I, and I think maybe you do too, that in a privilege of this great environment, we lose our affection for God. That the emotion's not there. Now tomorrow in chapel, I'm going to share with you four ways to renew a love for Jesus. But tonight I just want to ask you, Do you love the Lord? Do you love God? I got this note. In March, the uh, students of our school will do a pastor appreciation week. It's a great thing. They bring me things like um, Sour Patch Kid watermelon bites. Oh, so good. And Reese's peanut butter cups. Praise the Lord. They bring me stuff like that. And then they'll give me notes. And I got this note this past year in March, and I saved it. It says this. It says, thank you, Pastor Matt, from Marley. Marley's in fifth grade. Her family last summer trusted Christ as their savior. Her dad's a captain in the Air Force and was over at the base, and he was working out in the gym. And a retired Purple Heart recipient who uh, retired as a sergeant major from the army, was paralyzed from the waist down, was working out in the gym too. His name, uh, 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 he had trusted Christ as his savior not too many years before that. And on this day, he's, he's bench pressing and he's doing the workout and here comes Seth, Marley's dad. And they start talking. 
And the retired sergeant major says to Seth, Seth, you should come to my church. Seth had never been to church, didn't know anything, but knew that something was missing in his life. And this captain from the Air Force brought him and his wife, and Seth and Ashley trusted Christ as their savior. Marley, nine months later, wrote me this note. It says this, thank you, Pastor Matt, for being so amazing. And that's so with three O's. Can I share with you what it reads? Dear Pastor Matt, thank you for being such an amazing pastor. Before we ever went to church, we never knew who Jesus was. So I'm glad God pulled us to liberty. It's the first and best church I've ever been to. You guys were so welcoming and kind the moment our family, R spelt A-R-E, walked in. Thank you so, so, so much for everything. And then inside of it, I don't know if you can see this or not, inside of it is a drawing, and it's Jesus on the cross. And the two, two thieves are on either side of them. And one of the thieves, in bubble letters, says above it, if you are real, uh, take us off the cross. And the other sinner says, can I be saved? And Jesus, with a bubble out of his face, says, yes, you may be saved. And in nine months since her family coming to know Christ as her savior, here's Marley, and she's able to articulate the gospel, and she has an emotion and an affection for Jesus that I crave. That newness has not worn off for her. She has a love for God, and she's polishing that love for God, and it shines for our savior. Can I ask you this question? Do you have affection for God, or are you just going through the rote traditions of what is expected? Of keeping the rules, but being distanced from God. Following the plan that was set out by everybody else, and keeping a culture, and keeping traditions which are good and right or appropriate, but you have lost your love for God. Do you have affection for God? All of us should. We should have affection for God because he embraces sinners. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he takes sinners from all over the world. He takes sinners from Las Vegas. He takes sinners from Florida. He takes sinners from Michigan and Ohio. He even takes sinners from California. He'll take sinners from all over for God so loved the world. This is what's amazing. Not only does Jesus embrace sinners, he desires and he enjoys fellowship. Think about how wonderful Jesus is. Oh, how many times in the scripture do we see Jesus sitting down for a meat, breaking five loaves and two fishes, going to a wedding and enjoying fellowship with Jesus? That affection. Jesus was a wonderful person. Jesus was the kind of person who could hold an intelligent conversation with PhDs and people that were scorning and mocking him, people that were seeking to entrap him, and then in the matter of minutes sit down and talk to a child. Jesus is amazing. He deserves our affection. He enjoys our fellowship. But this is what I love most about Jesus. The Bible tells us that he extends forgiveness. Look at what the scripture says. The Bible says in verse number 48, thy sins, this woman 
receives from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ these beautiful words, thy sins are forgiven. There is no sin too big for Jesus. I was speaking to a man one day, and I was in his hospital room. His friend, Alan, said, would you please come with me? My friend has cancer, and he only has a few days to live. And when we walked inside of that room, the man said to me, I can't have Jesus. I can't have Jesus. In fact, he said to Alan, why did you bring him here? You ever feel awkward like you're not wanted? He said to Alan, he said, why did you bring him here? And I said, uh, I, I just have a question. Would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? And he said to me, I have sinned too much for Jesus to forgive me. And I said, well, then that means that your sin is more powerful than Jesus' death on the cross. He said, I, I don't want to hear this right now. And I said, well, I'm going to leave. And I walked out into the lobby, and I sat out there for 30 minutes. And his friend, Alan, reminded me of the story of the, the four bringing their friend to Jesus and lowering him down. His friend, Alan, pleaded with him and shared with him the gospel. And Alan walked out beaming. I said, how'd that go? I'm sorry if I messed things up. He said, no. He just prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. You want to know why? Even for a man who thinks he's sinned too much, Jesus forgives. Jesus forgives sinner. He, he covers our sin with his forgiveness. Now, this is what is necessary. It's necessary that we get real with God. In Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, the Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. I think sometimes our hearts become cold to God and the affection is lost because we allow sin to pile up one upon another. And rather than having those short accounts with God, we allow rebellion. We allow viewing habits on our phone. We allow bad um, conversations and things that we have no business being a part of employ themselves in our lives and so we become distant from God and I don't know what you did over Christmas break but God does and I want you to know he extends forgiveness first John 1 9 says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness a friend of mine named Richard Coyle said this and it stuck with me for 30 years God forgives let him Men and women of campus church, students of Pensacola Christian College, are you right with God tonight? Or are you carrying your sin by yourself? Perhaps you did something over the past few weeks, you said something, perhaps you and your parents, you left each other and it was cold as it is outside inside of your home. And you're just not talking Perhaps you're in a relationship you have no business being in. Perhaps your viewing habits have been things you have no business viewing. Can I tell you tonight, if you will come to God and humble yourself before him, he will forgive. There is no reason for you to start classes tomorrow with a burden of sin weighing on your shoulders. There is no reason for you to start the semester and try to push it off and, and struggle through chapel messages and try to get through this time on a Christian campus. You can have the forgiveness of God. Would you receive it tonight? Oh, he extends forgiveness. 
And he deserves our affection because he died for us. The Bible says we love him because why? He first loved us. Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for our sins. He loves you. He loves me. And I know for many of you this is not a new story, but it's so worth rehearsing. Matt Tice is a sinner. I deserve to die and go to hell because I have sinned. But God Almighty loved me enough to become a person in Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life. He had a wonderful birth. And the Bible tells us he died a horrible death on a cross. His hands were beaten into a tree with nails. And there they put him up on a cross. And he hung and he bore the sins of myself on his own body. And by his stripes, I can have healing because Jesus died for my sins. And he died for your sins too. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be baptized enough. You'll never adopt enough traditions. You can't change enough habits to have your sins forgiven. The only way to have your sins forgiven is to come to Jesus and say, I'm a sinner. But you're the Savior. And I receive what you've done for me on the cross. Do you know Jesus as your Savior tonight? Jesus deserves your attention. He deserves our affection. Look at verse number 49 and 50. The Bible says, And they sat at meat with him and began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith save thee. Go in peace. He deserves our attention. He deserves our affection. And he deserves our all. Does he have your all? Three questions. If you were to die tonight, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Does Jesus have your soul? Second question is this. Does Jesus have your sin? Does he have your sin? Or are you still holding on to it? Are you still keeping it? Are you still walking in that attitude, rebellion, habit, disobedience? Does Jesus have your sin? Third question is this. Does Jesus have your semester? Wouldn't it be wonderful as we all start this thing for the next 14 or 15 weeks we'll be on together until May and it's warm outside. And we'll be saying, oh, it's so humid. By the time we get there, have you taken time to say, Jesus, whatever you want from me this semester? When you look at your class load, Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Lord, I need your help through this. You know he will. In Luke chapter 11, the Bible says that he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. He'll help you. You don't have to go through this alone. You can go through this with the grace and power of God. The second semester of my freshman year was probably the hardest semester I had here on campus. And it was hard because when I came here, there were four of us that came uh, as college students and two of us didn't come back. My friend, who I had lived life with for the previous 12 years, him and his girlfriend had gotten in trouble and were inappropriate and she was expecting a child. And they weren't able to come back as students here because of their wrong choices. And I remember sitting in Ballard one night as a freshman, and there wasn't a whole lot of people from Las Vegas here. 
thinking, what am I doing here? And I remember being in a prayer room one night in 13, uh, uh, in Ballard South. I remember saying, God, I can't do this. You couldn't even call your parents at that time. Because every time you called your parents, it cost nine cents a minute. And so when you're calling your parents after 10 minutes, that's a dollar. It's another dollar. And so you, you just felt alone. And I remember that second semester of my freshman year. God became my friend. And I got to tell you, he's a great friend. He's a wonderful friend. Oh, I had many friends that I would know after that. People that would come alongside, people that are lifelong friends. My friend, Dr. Pittman, I see him back here. In one of the darkest days of my life, I called that man and he walked through it with me. Oh, God gave me friends. I looked, when I see Pastor Redlin, Pastor Redlin's one of my dearest friends in the entire world. God gave me friends. You know when I met him? The second semester of my freshman year. We became friends the second semester of my freshman year. If I were to look on this platform, Dr. Shoemaker in the last 10 years has become a dear friend of mine. But there was a time when I felt, I don't know how I'm going to do this. It's because my attention wasn't where it was supposed to be. When I put my attention on the Lord and I became friends with God, it started to nurture an affection in my life for the Lord. And with that affection, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't cry a whole lot about my relationship with God. I'm not a weepy person, but I do love Jesus. Because he's my friend. He's my savior, he's my God. And it all started with a decision to say, Lord, I give you this all. And there was a night over in a prayer room in Ballard South, right? I say, okay, God, I give you this semester. I have no clue what's going on in your life. There are 4,000 different stories in this room, but I do know this. Jesus deserves your attention. He deserves your affection. And he deserves your all. And if that all means giving your soul to Jesus Christ tonight and asking for his forgiveness, then praise God. If that all means you just need to get real with God, confess some sin, be open with him, then praise God. And for all of us, could we start on the eve of a brand new semester saying, God, this is your semester. Whatever you do with it, I yield it to you. Jesus deserves your affection, your attention, and your all. Would you give it to him tonight? You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.